Firefighting is essential for our communities, but it's not easy. With increased heat loads and toxic substances, the job today is more dangerous than ever. At MSA, your health and safety drive us to develop highly advanced safety equipment to protect you on the job. MSA's Globe Gear is performance and protection in perfect balance. It's designed to meet the challenges you face every day to help keep you safe and healthy during your career and beyond. Get the full story at msafire.com globe. Hello and welcome to Today on Firehouse. My name is Peter Matthews. I'm the editor here and thank you for, uh, for listening to this podcast. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, we're excited today to have um, Vito Maggiolo from DC Fire EMS. Uh, Vito is the public information officer uh, for DC Fire and, and he's got a long history with the department um, and, and the fire service in general. Um, so, so Vito, thank you for joining us today, and um, we're looking forward to learning a little bit more about what DC does. Uh, you know, you being right there in the in the hotbed of the country with with news stories, whether it's a political story or a who's who or a vehicle fire that uh, becomes a national story or an international story because it happened in DC. So, we're looking forward to talking today. But why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, um, both in the media and on uh, the fire side. Well, I was uh, born and raised in the Bronx, New York City. I lived right around the corner from my local firehouse, Engine 62 and Ladder 32. And uh, my family tells me I used to make my mom carry me to the firehouse before I could barely walk. So I've had a I've had a lifelong love for the fire service. And uh, wherever I lived, I always found my local firehouse and made uh, made my friends and. Um, DC, I uh, actually lived here in the late 60s, uh, was a buff here, uh, and uh, moved back to New York City uh, in 1970 for college, where I was uh, uh, picked up again with uh, Engine 62 and Ladder 32, lived back in the same neighborhood in the Bronx, and um, was an auxiliary firefighter and an auxiliary lieutenant, and active with the uh, Bronx Salvation Army Canteen. Of course, those were the war years, and... Uh, saw a tremendous amount of uh, activity from from my, my perspective. And uh, Were you shooting pictures and video back at that point? I was not. I, I was okay. not. I was just, I was more of a hands-on kind of guy. Uh, again, with uh, either as an auxiliary or, um, or helping to dish out uh, donuts and coffee with the Salvation Army Canteen. Okay. So, so tell us about um, your career. I mean, where you know you 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 travel on international news stories, war, and all that kind of stuff. So um, certainly plays into your your long term career at CNN. Um, so tell us about some of your experience at CNN and and you know the, the coverage that you had to provide and some of the experiences that you uh, encountered over the years on different assignments. So, and, and maybe what's your most memorable assignment? Mm-hmm. At CNN. Well, well, you know I. Um... I got into the news business because I figured I'd, I'd get a job where um, my, my my idea of what my job would be would be working on a big city daily covering the fire and police beat. Um, I ended up in television news, and um, when I went to work for CNN, the uh, the fires I covered were were quite large and um, international in nature. I spent 35 years at CNN, um, helped to put it on the air in 1980, and um, I had a very uh, productive uh, career there. I was very satisfied with it. Um, certainly the highlight of um, of my career was uh, 
as a producer in Baghdad during um, Desert Storm. So I was actually on the ground in Baghdad with a very small CNN team doing live television uh, while uh, the U.S. and its allies were bombing Baghdad. And, uh, you know, the war went on. I spent 40 days and 40 nights there. Uh, we were at, for a while. We were the only news organization there, so we we made history. It was quite a moment to be part of that experience. Um, but that certainly was the highlight of what I felt was a very satisfying 35 years working with uh, the cable news network. That's great. And, and so when you were over there, I mean, how were you covering assignments for the, for the younger uh, listeners that we have today? Right, we didn't have smartphones. Uh, you didn't smartphones then. Uh, internet wasn't really a thing. So um, just so people understand how the media cycle works, how are you getting your material back to uh, the U.S. so it could be broadcast? Well, we were given permission to come in with a flyaway, uh, which is, you know, a, a satellite transmitter. And back in those days, uh, it, it, the, the pieces, the parts you needed to use for a flyaway, you know, you carried in a three-quarter ton truck. So when we arrived in uh, when we arrived there, we set up a you know a, a satellite dish. Um, we had satellite phones, and um, we would be in contact with our headquarters, which was in Atlanta, and um, set up a, a work schedule. And uh, but but yeah, no cell phones uh, by today's standards. It was uh, pretty primitive. When you think about it now, you can go to the top of Mount Everest. Uh, basically, with uh, with with equipment in a backpack, and and do live television. You can do live television out of a backpack in the most mm -hmm. remote portion of the world. So, um, very different now. The technology has moved ahead in a, in a fashion that's almost impossible to describe. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that's pretty cool. I mean, it's certainly a unique uh, opportunity. And then you know, again, the transition. Um, you know, back to the fireside. So, so during your time with CNN, you were still uh, involved in various roles with with DC Fire and, and whatnot. So, can you can you talk to that a little bit um, and and in the actions you were carrying out, what you were involved with? Yeah, I um, when I was working with CNN, I was based here in Washington. I was a Washington Washington based assignment editor. So, uh, in my spare time, I rode. I spent most of my time writing with. Um, Rescue Company One, one of three heavy rescues here in the district. Um, and the um, the 80s and the 90s were, were, were a very busy period here in D.C. also. Um, and so I um, I started shooting uh, video. Um, when I, I had covered Tiananmen um, Square, I had covered China, 1989-1990, and I wow. saw the first eight millimeter handy cams, which we started to use. Uh, so we looked like tourists and didn't look like uh, news professionals because then the Chinese would zoom in on us. And I saw how easy it was for the, to work with the handicam. So I bought one in Hong Kong, brought it back, and I started shooting video. Uh, I became the uh, DC Fire and EMS uh, unofficial, um, unpaid civilian fire photographer. And I made my video available to all the local media as a courtesy because my my whole purpose was to show to show the department at work. It was not a it was not a, a for profit operation. 
Um, so um, I've had a very close association with the department, riding the apparatus, uh, shooting video, making the video available to the media and to the department, of course, for training and uh, public affairs, whatever, whatever the purposes they they asked for it. So, so I did that uh, the entire time I was here in Washington working for CNN. I leave the fire. I leave. I leave work and I go to the firehouse to relax. So I guess that gives you a sense of what kind of character I am. <laughs> and in those days, you weren't having a lot of time to relax. It seems like there's still enough work going around the city uh, or the district. Sorry, that uh, you were keeping plenty busy overnight. So yeah, it was um, a busy place. Okay, so. You know, there was the videos, and I'm trying to think of the name of it. Was it, was it Fire Scene? It wasn't Fire Scene, but there was, there was a, you know, the old VHS videos, right? Cap, was it DC Capital Fire videos? Um, uh, there was a series were, called, there was a series called Capital Blazes. Uh, yes. Uh, and, and all the Capital Blazes videos were, were, were my video. Um, I did that, and, and I did that as a, uh, with the, uh, the fellow who ran it, um, I did that as a fundraiser. So, I mean, he, he had his business. He would, he sold fire, he sold fire, you know, fire videos from various cities. I gave him the DC stuff. We did a series called Capital Blazes. And then my per portion of the profits, I would donate to the Friendship Fire Association, which I was a member of also, and which uh, operated the canteen units here in DC, as well as a museum. So I think we did about 16, um, of the uh, Capital Blazes uh, series. And again, those, you know, for, for folks who, who are on the younger side listening, those videos were literally a, a BHS video that you would order, you know, you, you, you would call for it or you'd, you'd eat, um, send a letter in the mail with a check, and then you'd get the VHS video long before Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. Um, you literally used to order videos. And it wasn't just DC, right? It was, it was FDNY and you had Alan Simmons in L.A. doing some of the, um, you know, the, the, the Burbank videos and L.A. City and County videos and stuff like that. So um, those were kind of the first, you know, um, videos that were available to folks across the country in the VHS format. Is that correct? You know, guys could use it for training and, and you know, talking points as well as just watching to see what was going on across the country. Yeah, the, the the first ones were VHS, and then they transitioned over to uh, DVDs. Uh, okay. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, there wasn't the instant gratification there is now where um, you can, uh, you know, your, your, your pager goes off, or high pager or your phone or whatever, with a notification that there's a third alarm in some city, in which case you can go on their Twitter account and look at the videos that people are posting. There's this new app called Citizen, which I mm -hmm. love, which is in New York and San Francisco. And you get this alert that there's a, you know, that there's a fire on the East Village and there's 40 citizen videos of the stuff, often first due. So, so it's, there's, there's an instant gratification now that never existed back in, back in the, in the last, you know, decade or two. Yeah. Okay. So, so tell us about your transition to the PIO job and, and how you came into that role. And, you know, I, what were your, what were some of your first goals uh, when you became PIO? What, what were, you know, your top two or three goals to get uh, 
accomplish in your first six months to a year? Well, I be, um, the way I became the PIO was um, CNN offered me a buyout, two years of uh, salary and benefits if I chose to, re- uh, to retire, which I did. And as that was coming to an end, D.C. Um, got a new fire chief, Gregory Dean. And uh, I met him uh, at the news conference by the mayor announcing uh, her choice of Dean as the fire chief took place at Engine 2 and Squad 1, which were uh, which I was hanging out at. So the chief, being the gentleman he is, came into the kitchen to introduce himself to the troops and uh, say that he hoped to be uh, their fire chief if the city council approved the mayor's choice. I introduced myself to him, gave him a brief description of my background, told him um, of my interest, and told him that I, I felt the previous administration had done very poorly in the area of public information and public affairs, and I could uh, do some justice for him. And uh, when push came to shove, uh, I got the job. That's great. That is great. Um, so, what, what what is your you know what were your goals in that the first couple couple months there? If, if you know you're obviously trying to improve the the department's um, public looking image. So, what were you, what did you start working on? Uh, well, one of the one of the first things I did, and I told. Uh, I told us my, my boss, I have, there's a director of communications here also I work with, that um, every day I started to post um, all of our activity for the previous day. I, I would post um, on, you know, July 15th, whatever the date is, DC Fire and EMS Department responded to 654 calls. Then I broke it down by EMS, critical, non-critical, and then fire and, and, and uh, fire-related emergency calls. So I want the citizens to see how busy we were. And when I started posting that, there was a lot of, I mean, there were a lot of response from the community was, my God, we had no idea that the fire department was so busy that we were averaging 500 calls, five to 600 calls daily. People had no idea. So that was one of my first goals. Um, the other one was, I, I told them, I'm going to be a 24-7 PIO. The fire department is not a nine-to-five business, obviously, and the PIO should not be working office hours. I have my office hours, but uh, this is a 24-7 fire department. I'm going to be a 24-7 PIO, and and that's exactly how I operate. Um, also, I try to move forward with the use of um, social media, especially Twitter. So the way I operate is, uh, you know, I'm always monitoring the radio and the um, notifications. And as soon as I hear an incident and confirm it's a working incident of some kind, I immediately tweet it out, um, describing the incident, um, the address, the approximate address, because we don't won't put out exact addresses, um, the nature of the call, what what's going what's going on there, what they found, what they're reporting, and um, then I will respond to the incident. And then when I get there, um, based on the amount of activity or the visuals, I will either take still photos with my phone. I have a you know a an excellent cell phone, which produces quality images, and I'm pretty adept at uh, taking pictures, 
been a photographer on and off for many decades. So I'll take either stills if, if, if the incident is winding down or if it's still visually exciting, I will shoot um, a minute or two of video on the phone. I will then update the tweet with the uh, additional information and attach the pictures and or video. And so um, the community, the stakeholders, you know, who sees this stuff, everybody sees this stuff. They're, the stakeholders include, uh, obviously, the community, the citizens, um, people within the department, uh, fire, the fire service around the country, um, the uh, local uh, politicians. Um, so, so stakeholders are, 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 are wide and varied. And um, I think it's important that everybody knows what's happening as it's happening. And um, also very important, since it's an official Twitter site, the media is able to take the information I'm posting, take the video and images that I'm posting, and, and use them in their reporting. So the, okay, yep. the opportunity to get your story out is, is much faster and much broader than it used to be. Okay. And, and, and so that, you know, that transition into another part here. So, you know, it's Washington DC, right? Everyone's always keeping an eye on what's going on. The last year has been, uh, last few years have been just focused on DC every day in the news. So being right there, right? Something that's a seemingly minor, probably non, uh, incident in a lot of communities, right? The bread and butter, the, the, the still alarm or whatever you want to call it based on the territory you're in. Um, a car fire or a vehicle fire or a vehicle crash turns into a major story in, in D.C. And, and you don't only have the local papers contacting you, but you've got folks from all across the country, potentially across the world. Um, so tell us about that. I mean, you know, it's like you said earlier, you're, you're on a 24-7 schedule, right? You're always paying attention. You always know what's going on. Um, you're listening to the radio all the time. Is that correct? I'm listening to the radio all the time uh, when I'm, <laughs> I do sleep from time to time, but um, we have a very, uh, we, um, we have a very good uh, notification system through Pulse Point that will um, activate whenever a structural fire or technical rescue or, or uh, another type of incident that, that might demand my attention um, that that'll wake me up, and then I can listen to it long enough to decide whether it's something I need to react to. If not, I can, you know, um, pull the covers back over. But but yeah, everything in DC is magnified because of the city that it is. Um, I mean, if 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 there's an automatic alarm, for instance, at the Justice Department. And, you know, you get an automatic alarm. The building evacuates as it's supposed to. You know, we send an engine and a truck um, on a commercial fire alarm. Uh, I'll start getting calls from from the national networks. Uh, what's going on at the Justice Department? Is there a fire there? How big is it? What is it? And, and you have to, you know, explain to them all it is is a, uh, uh, it's an automatic fire alarm and it's routine and uh, there's nothing going on there. But, but. Like I said, even an automatic fire alarm in a in a significant location is going to get attention that it would not get um, if it was not the fact that it's in Washington D.C. So, so that's 
the feedback side from your end? I mean, how many messages are you getting? Is it, is it, uh, I live here in, in Fort Worth, Texas, and, and, you know, there's a pretty robust program. It's called DFW Scanner, and uh, they get folks tweeting and Facebooking them all day about, I just saw three fire trucks going down Main Street. What's going on? So uh, is it citizens? Is it media? Is it just passersby? Um, is it just local? Or, are you you know, somebody sees a picture on Twitter and, and they reach out to you that, hey, we just saw this, what's going on? I mean, who's who's reaching out to you? And, and like, what's the frequency? What's the uh, the rate of folks who do contact you for that kind of stuff? I mean, I do get. I do get phone calls 24/7, or phone calls, or emails, or texts. Um, mostly from most of them are from the local media. Um, okay. You know, looking for more specific information on incidents. Um, sometimes um, I don't. I obviously don't monitor my. I don't monitor Twitter 24/7, and I try to make that clear to folks. But uh, um, there's there's citizens who are so accustomed to using social media as their tool. I mean, I'll look and I'll see where somebody tweeted out, just saw four fire trucks flying down Connecticut Avenue. What's going on? Um, <clears throat> you know, or, or, or I think that, uh, or even, even, even get a tweet that says there's a trash can on fire at 18th and so-and-so street. Can you send a truck? <laughs> wow. You know, it's like, um, that's not how it works. Yeah. Um, but, so um, how do you communicate that? Um, I mean, it, 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 you know, if it's not a message you see for a few hours, um, uh, then I, what, what I, kind I of try to personal, I try to personal personal message them, and you know, <clears throat> and uh, and if if it's a question that still can be needs to be answered, uh, I'll try to I'll answer it and then explain. You know, you know, I, it says our, our media is not our social media is not monitored twenty four seven as our. Mm -hmm as is the case for a lot of most fire service social media. Um, so, um, but yeah, I, you know, you gotta be responsive. I mean, you know, you, that's what you're there for. You're, you're there to serve the community um, and, and you have to be res responsive to the community and be patient with, with folks. You know, sometimes you're, you're a little, you're a little surprised by the, the types of questions you're asked, but you know, it's all good. Um, mm -hmm. it's all, it's all part of the job. Uh, my tweets, for instance, when I tweet out a fire, um, one of the first responses I usually get is the ward representative for the mayor's office of community affairs. Each ward in the city has a couple of, uh, uh, people from the mayor's office who are their, com uh, community affairs representatives. And often my tweets are the first indication to them that there's an, something going on in their ward that they need to go to and, and provide citizens assistance. And so they'll call me right away. Hey, Vito, we just uh, saw your tweet about uh, 58th Street. Can you give us a, tell us what's happening? I'll fill them in on the, on, on the incident. And so, so that's another example of how that, uh, you know, the social media performs a vital function. Mm -hmm. And so who do you think is the biggest consumer of, DC Fire social media? Is it citizens? Is it the media itself? Um, like you said, I mean, the, the local um, the local politicians, are they the biggest consumers? Do you have an idea who it is or who you interact with the most? Well, you know, we've got, uh, when I first started, uh, when I first took over um, and uh, began at 
getting our um, Twitter site active again, we had uh, 35,000 followers. Uh, in the four years that I've been in this job, May was four years, we now have 68,000 followers. So, I mean, the, the fact is, if you make it interesting, if you make it active, if you make mm -hmm. it current, um, uh, they, if you build it, they will come. Uh, and, 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 and again, I, I, um, I can't target any particular group but I think I think it's it's a it's a very broad spectrum. I know there's a lot of people in the fire service nationally who follow us. I know you know and I I know from Citizen Reaction that a good number of citizens follow us. I see responses from uh, council members. You know, thank you, Fire and EMS for 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 saving that home in Ward Four. So uh, so I I can't pinpoint any particular group. But I do know that, that it's grown considerably and, and keeps growing. And I, I'm, very, I'm very satisfied with that. I mean, uh, uh, I think that's, that's because you keep current. And, and let me say, it's not just incidents. Uh, one of my catchphrases is every day is a training day. Um, I, I spend most of my time in the field, not in the office. So I'm always visiting firehouses or um, I see what the training schedule is. I'm always taking pictures of, of uh, for instance, the rescue squads maybe cutting up some junk cars as they do uh, extrication training or a couple of units on, on a multi-unit drill uh, doing a ladder pipe, um, you know, monitor nozzle going. And, and I'm, I'm always looking, I'm, I'm constantly grabbing that stuff and pointing out to the citizens that we don't just respond to emergencies. We're training every day. Community service when we uh, when we go and take blood pressures at a, a community center, or you know, there's a lot we're not doing now because of COVID, or um, we're attending a block party. Um, all of that is very very important. It, it really makes the community understand how much we do, um, what the broad spectrum of of activity is that we accomplish. So um, I'm constantly Look, searching out those opportunities and, and, and tweeting them out. And I've also taught our members throughout the department that uh, if they do get a school visit, if there's, uh, I can't be everywhere all of the time. So oh, I sure. taught them, um, listen, guys, you know, so I'll get a text. Hey, we had, a, you know, we had a third grade class come to Engine 11. They send me pictures. They give me the name of the school. And, um, you know, I've got that. Uh, so that's um, I get a lot of I, I get a lot of positive uh, feedback from the people from our own people in the field. They help mm -hmm. me. And they know I'm helping them. It's a great uh, it's a great co uh, cooperative effort. Well, that's great. And and yeah, again, getting getting the crews to, to buy in and, and share what they've got going on. Um, that again, I guess that helps you kind of make sure you're continuously pushing something out through the various channels. Um, so that's, that, that's a great tip. I mean, it, you know, a city your size or again, a district, I'm sorry, but uh, that size, the, the amount of events that you have going on in addition to the amount of emergencies, it's truly a 24 seven cycle there. Um, so that's good to get the support from the crews in the field. 
Um, are you alone, SPIO, or do you have other folks that work with you? Actually, um, I have a director. There's a director of communications. Um, okay. He runs the office, and he handles a lot of the big picture stuff, uh, such as strategy, uh, dealing with the mayor's office, dealing with um, senior staff. Um, so that's his responsibility. I'm directly under him as the public information officer. And I like to say that, you know, he gets to do all the bureaucratic work and I get to play. So, you know, <laughs> I, when, 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 when they go on the scene with smoke or fire showing, I poke my head in his door. If I'm in the office, I say, Doug, got a job, got to go. And, and he, you know, so, and, and we work very well off each other. He's very, very well uh, suited for the work he does. And I'm really well suited for the streets you know, which is, which has always been my strength. And, and you talked about the cooperative effort between the members and, and, and this office. I, I have the added advantage of having been out on the streets and riding the apparatus and knowing um, the members uh, for so many years that there's a trust. I'm not just somebody working up in headquarters. Uh, mm -hmm. The guys know me. The men and women in this department, they know me, they trust me, they know I'm going to do the right thing, they know I'm going to do whatever I can to minimize any anything bad that happens. And, you know, in this business, bad things can and will happen. You have to accept that. You have to deal with it. You have to be as honest and transparent as possible in explaining what happened, why it happened, and why maybe it shouldn't happen again. Uh, but there's a very strong level of trust uh, between the folks uh, out on the streets and, 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 and this office and me in particular, because uh, they know me. Okay, that's good. And, and yeah, I mean, it, it, investing that time and, and getting to know the members and knowing what's going on, you know, as you come into it, into that position has got to be extremely helpful. Um, and, you know, from the training side and, and all the non-emergency activities that you're covering, um, you know, what are some of the comments? I mean, do, does that get folks asking if they can come and get tours of the station or, you know, if do they ask you about the, the cost of equipment or how you get the equipment or, you know, for instance, you guys have a fireboat, right? Or I think you have several boats. Um, but, you know, does that spark conversations that, that people really just, just call 911 and expect? DC fire to show up without any questions being asked. And, and now you're trying to educate them on everything that goes on so that they understand the entire agency and what it is that you provide and what you do on a 24 seven schedule. Yeah, I think I, you know, again, communication is key and, and for, to give the residents a, a, a better understanding of who we are, what we do, how we do it. Um, you know, it makes a difference in how they're going to respond to us um, and, and we inter interact with us, um, uh, you know, and, and, and it sparks interest. Obviously, uh, there's one thing this office does, and there's, in addition to uh, Doug and myself, there are other people in this office and who deal with uh, requests for firehouse visits, um, for smoke detector installations, you know, the whole gamut of, um of public affairs so um so uh, giving it people a better sense of 
of of how the department functions, and uh, uh, of course, it's 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 going to result in a, in a better in a better understanding and a better communication. Um, uh, you know, I welcome any and all inquiries. I mean, again, we're you know we're public we're public service agency. We're here we're here to help. We're here to do whatever we can for people. And um, mm-hmm. and so I I I look forward and appreciate uh, you know the feedback from the community. Great. Okay. And so we 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 focused on a lot of the positives so far with with especially with social media. So, you know, for for PIOs or, or potential future PIOs who are listening today, any suggestions on some some don'ts for folks in that role, what they should not be doing or should not be covering, or any tips for success uh, either on the positive or the negative side of, of how to carry out the role. Well, one thing is to um not to overstep your bounds um uh what's the tv show curb your enthusiasm i mm-hmm. think um i was a little more enthusiastic when i first came in and you have to temper that with the reality of the fact that um you have bosses both inside the department and in government in general um so you have to um you have to realize when to stay in your lane um, and so just to give you an example of how I have to operate in this, uh, uh, in the district where, again, um, there's so many law enforcement agencies and, and this can be true in any city. Uh, we had an, a, an incident a few days ago where a gentleman, um, drove up to, uh, the Supreme court, got out of his car, um, with a, a can of an accelerant. Uh, put it on a uh, Supreme Court vehicle, ignited it in the process. He burned himself significantly. So, so that whole thing started out as a response for a car fire. So they uh, dispatch they dispatch the engine company for car fire. They said we have a burn victim. They dispatched the uh, appropriate EMS resources for a burn victim. And um, you know that kind of caught my attention a little bit. And then all of a sudden it accelerated into a suspicious package, which was actually the oh, vehicle wow. the guy drove the guy the vehicle the guy drove up in, because since it was a obvious intentional act, they said, you know, God knows what's in his car. So that of course immediately got my attention. I realized this is all tied in. But when I get there, you know, I'm starting to get phone calls now because it was a it was a a, a very visual event by the Supreme Court. I'm starting to get phone calls. People want to know what's going on. Now, from my perspective, from the fire department perspective, uh, we were dispatched for a vehicle fire. We extinguished the fire. We found a burned adult male. We transported that victim to the hospital. And this is now a law enforcement investigation. So I stuck to my lane. That's my lane. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to be, I can't initially be talking about arson. There's, um, there's a, there's a half a dozen, uh, police agencies, uh, both local and federal on the scene. I see, I, I always seek out, um, my fellow PIOs for their respective agencies. I immediately made contact with the, um, U.S. Supreme Court police and U.S. Capitol police, uh, senior officials on the scene. 
introduced myself, explained uh, to them um, that I was a fire department PIO, and I described to them exactly the information I just described to you. This is what I have given the press so far. And do you have any PIOs coming to the scene? So it's very important you coordinate. Um, you, you know, you're, you're not an island onto yourself. Um, so I stood in my lane with the information and I also made sure I coordinated with my counterparts. So um, you don't get a bunch of disjointed, disjointed messages or you're giving out some information that might be compromising to a uh, law enforcement investigation. Okay. And, and, and you know, so that, I mean, it, it, the number of law enforcement agencies you have in DC, um, just, you know, folks coming and going and folks, I, I don't even know, it, it, it's like a dozen law enforcement agencies, if not more than that, correct? It's many more than that. Many okay. more than that. Just to just to give you just to give you an alert, people say, oh, you know, <laughs> just to give you an example, the zoo has its own police department. Okay, oh, okay. so <laughs> the government <laughs> printing office has its own police department. The my favorite is the FBI police. There's a uniform police department that protects the FBI. So <laughs> think about wow. it. There's okay. dozens and dozens of law enforcement agencies here in the district. Okay, so in, in, yeah, in that case, how do you, you know, how do you stay in touch with those agencies? And uh, you know, is there is there a PIO get together once a month so everybody has a chance to meet before the uh, the incident happens? Um, how do you how do you handle all of that? Um, there 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 was there there is a regional uh, council of governments, and so um, not only not only locally. Uh, not only within the district, but regionally, um, there are COG meetings um, with PIOs, uh, Council of Government meetings, because uh, a lot of a lot of these events can quickly become regional events um, involving Virginia, involving Maryland. You know, um, our borders don't end at the city line. Well, they do end at the city line, but events don't necessarily end at the city line. So, um, so, so that's another key. It's always good to know your counterparts ahead of time. Um, obviously, if you have a relationship, if you've developed a relationship uh, early on, um, it's going to be a lot easier to deal with somebody. Um, but if not, and, and, and the event takes place, then you need to seek out. You need to seek those other PIOs out if they're not already on the scene or find somebody from their agency and ask if they're coming or who's coming and, um, and, and coordinate. Coordination uh, in those kinds of uh, environments are, are, are key to, keys to success, keys to a unified message. Mm -hmm. that's, that's interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah, again, just trying to, you know, get in touch and, um, yeah. The, the meetings ahead of time have to be helpful. So, um, so how many PIOs do you think there are? And I know, again, that's probably a tough one to, to give me a quick number on, but between law and, and fire, just covering the district alone before, before you get outside into the surrounding uh, cities and counties. Um, oh, I mean, easily, 
easily, uh, I mean, it's got to be in the hundreds. Remember, if there's an emergency at a hospital, you're going to be dealing with them, with their mm-hmm. PIO, with, the, with, with their concerns about what we're saying, what they're saying. If there's a, you know, a power failure at a hospital and we become actively involved, if there's a fire at a hospital, if there's a major uh, loss of water at a hospital where the fire and EMS may become engaged. I mean, that's just to give you an example of the, you know, it, it goes far beyond just law enforcement. Uh, the museums, um, you know, we had a fire, uh, we had a, a truck on fire in a loading dock at the uh, the uh, Museum of African American History, and uh, you know, I seek out the museum PIO, and you know, people want want they're asking me, you know, what's damaged, what, you know, what's not damaged. Um, I don't have those answers, or if if I do, I'm not, I don't necessarily feel. Uh, uh, I don't necessarily feel the need to provide them until I get an accurate assessment from somebody who's an expert in that area and for that particular uh, organization. So, so it goes, you know, it, it, it goes far beyond the public safety PIOs. It, it really does. Yeah. I think okay. People in this business need to re- realize that and, and, and remember it. That's a very great point to bring up. Um, Again, even if it's a fire incident, right, it's still in their domain. Uh, you've got to give them the opportunity to speak to everything. So, okay. All right. Any other advice or any other uh, tips for uh, PIOs on some of the experiences that you've had? And, again, maybe even coming from the media side, um, you know, some, some advice you have. Again, assuming at this point, um, you know, newspapers and TV stations across the country, unfortunately, have seen a tremendous amount of cuts and their staff. So it's safe to say, I believe at this point that, you know, departments really have to put the news out there on their own in order for a lot of the media agencies to pick it up. And of course, you know, at that point they're going directly to the citizens, but you know, what are your feelings on that? um, On that end outside of DC too? Well, I think the, you know, again, the use of providing the media with images either stills or especially video today is critical. Uh, I know most of the um, local television stations here have cut back considerably on staff and that includes photographers. So often the reason a, a, a DC fire and EMS event will make air is because I've provided um, the images that allow them to do television. Um, and, but, and then again, at the same time, you have to be very careful about the images that you provide. Um, remember, um, we are, most, most agencies of our, of, our, of our type are regulated by HIPAA rules. So I have to sometimes bend over backwards to make sure that I don't, my visuals don't identify a patient. Um, mm-hmm. I never. I try to avoid showing the exact address of a building. Uh, in fact, when I tweet out, it's always like the 2100 block of such and such a street. I don't, um, for for obvious reasons, I don't want to give out people's exact addresses or in, in their time of need. Um, and, um, so, um, 
so yeah, I think uh, I think being able to provide the images at the same time being very cautious uh, about the images, and then you got to look within your own agency. Um, you know, uh, you don't want to provide, you don't want to, uh, in the heat of the in the heat of battle, grab an image that might cause um, concern within the agency uh, involving its own personnel. Um, and uh, you know that as an editor of a um, magazine, when you look at the images, you're being provided. And, mm-hmm. um, and you got to understand also, you got to have a thick skin because no matter how hard you try, someone is always going to find fault. Okay. Um, there's a lot of trolls out there and all they want to do is try to tear things down. So you just gotta you just gotta ignore them, know that you're doing the right thing, you know, and um, be patient. There's also a, a a lot of new members of the media don't have a whole lot of experience. Uh, for many years, most of PIOs dealt with reporters who covered a beat. So these were experienced reporters who covered public safety, who covered the fire department. They had a pretty good understanding of how things worked. Um, And so um, a lot of the new folks don't, and they will ask you questions that you probably think are pretty basic, but bear with it and try to make it a teaching lesson for them try to explain to them that why this is important or why this is not important or why this happened. The other thing I've, I've seen, the other big change I've seen is that um, the media used to be story driven in that people would have a meeting, would decide what stories affected the most people in their community and covered that story. It's now image driven. And I'll give you an example. I'll get a call from one of the local stations, all excited. Vito, can you tell me about this car fire on Wisconsin Avenue? And I'll be like, car fire? Now, hold on. And I'll go on the computer and I'll go, yeah, we uh, responded. We had a car fire in the you know, 1200 block of Wisconsin Avenue. Well, what details are there? What can you tell me? Well, there was a car on fire. We sent a fire truck. We put it out, and uh, that's it. And then it's like, well, were there any injuries, and, and how did it start? And, and I, I ask you all the questions, and then uh, out of curiosity, I'll say, why, why, why this, this great interest in a, in a car fire? Well, because somebody, a citizen, tweeted out a, 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 an image of this car, you know, well involved, and so... It was the image that's generating the story, even though wow. by my standards and by the, 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 the standards I was brought up with as a news gatherer, it was not it was non-story. But that night I'll, I'll be watching the local station and what I'll see is, and in the district, firefighters battled this raging car fire on Wisconsin Avenue. Officials tell us there were no injuries and the cause is under investigation. And to me, that's not news, but, but that's the world we live in now, and you need to accept it. 
understand it, and be patient with it. Oh, that's that's actually that's some great advice. Um, yeah, a non-story becoming a story. Um, you know, the number of photos we see coming through here um, is just it, it's incredible. And unfortunately, a lot of photos we don't use uh, just because what's what's being shown is not only is it, 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 we don't want to put we don't want to get that department to to be the uh, victims of Monday morning quarterbacks right when the issue comes out. Um, but also sometimes too, it's it's that one sixtieth of a second or one two hundred fiftieth of a second, and you don't know what happened before or after because that's all that's submitted. And you know sometimes the photographers will ask them to send some other pictures and say, hey, you know, this is not going on, or do you have something where you could see this aspect of it instead? And they don't they haven't captured it, so we don't know whether or not you know somebody put their mask on or somebody put their gloves on or whatever it is. And 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 we're very careful about that too. You know, again, we we want the images to capture your eye and get you talking, but we don't want you necessarily nitpicking um, the, the picture that was taken before they put their gloves or their helmets on um, or, or, you know, a mask on. So it's tough. But yeah, if a citizen sends something out and, you know, the media is, is looking for something to fill a minute, um, a non-story becomes a story for that sake. So um, that's great. That's, that's some great input from your side. And again, um, I, I, you know, it's, it sounds like it's a two-way street, right? You're, you've been involved in both sides of the business, so you can help school the younger folks, whether it's on the media side or the PIO side, but they also have to give you the insight into why they are changing or shifting the way they are covering news. So, yeah, okay. and that brings up another important point that is as, as important as it is to, for you to know your fellow PIOs, and uh, it's also important for you to meet uh, the news uh, gatherers. Um, mm -hmm. if you're new, if you're new to the job, you know, stop by the newsroom, um, um, uh, have a, have a, have a bag lunch with, uh, with the local papers, reporters and, um, editors, um, get to know each other, build trust, trust, trust is paramount because, uh, if you, um, if, 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 if there's no trust there, if, if they don't, if they don't trust you to give them the story and to, be as honest and transparent as you can. And if you can't, if there's reasons you can't, there will be times when you cannot provide them the information they're seeking, at least at that point in time. You've got to be honest with them and say, I'm sorry, I'm, you know, I can't discuss that at this point, if and when I can. But, 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 but develop a trust. Develop, uh, be honest. Um, you're only as good as your um, reputation. Uh, if you, if you, if you lie, if you if you um, lead people down the wrong path, um, if you if you try to listen, there's an old saying: the cover up is worse than the crime. <laughs> you know, yeah. Never, so never yeah. never try to cover up something. Uh, obviously, you want to put your best foot forward and your best face forward, but bad things happen. They will happen in this business. They're bound to happen. When they do, you just have to deal with it. You have to uh, uh, take your. Sometimes you just have to take your licks, uh, but uh, but maintain that maintain, maintain your integrity. That mm -hmm. is paramount. Okay, great advice. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, um, we'll, we'll begin wrapping up here and. Do you, do you want to tell us a little bit about, I know we, we covered it briefly before, but 
you know, you talked about the Warriors back in FKNY, um, and, you know, from your time at CNN, what are some of the bigger fire instances that you've covered um, throughout your career, uh, you know, whether you're on scene or handling it, uh, the coverage from the from the desk? Well, um, well, in New York, uh, I was um, <laughs> I was out on the I was out on the streets with my best friend, um, dear departed friend Sal Maza, sitting at a traffic light in the South Bronx when the lights went out in '77. Were you so, really? Yes. So uh, at at the corner and and you you put, at the corner of Southern Boulevard and Westchester Avenue. And, oh, okay. Uh, with, yep. And within minutes of the lights going out, the sound of breaking glass erupted all around us, and all hell broke loose. And so um, we spent the rest of the night. Um, uh, we went and got the canteen, and we just went from. We went to intersections where all four corners were burning. Um, uh, we went to uh, we arrived at fires with the canteen before anybody else showed up. Um, so I mean, so that that that's something that comes to my mind, you know, my mind away the blackout of uh, '77. Um, of course, um, 9/11. I um, I was working at CNN at the time, and um, I. Uh, uh, when the Pentagon was hit, I said, you know, I'll, I need to get out of the office. I can um, I can get some pretty good images at the Pentagon. Um, and I know I can get, get find my way in there. So I was at the Pentagon uh, on 9-11. Um, those, uh, those two events obviously stand out. Uh, among many others, those stand out in my mind. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Great. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing all this today, Vito. Really do. And uh, we'll put links to all DC Fire's uh, social media accounts on the podcast player page. Uh, so we, we appreciate everybody listening um, today. And um, Vito, as we wrap up, any uh, one last piece of advice for, for the listeners today? Um, just that uh, find what you like to do and do it. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I got to tell you, I'm 68 years old right now and I'm in my dream job. You know, a little kid being hand carried into the firehouse. And here I am uh, representing one of the busier and most visible uh, fire service organizations in the United States. It, It doesn't get better than that. Yeah, that's great. Great advice, Vito. Thank you so much. Um, Vito, well, thank you for joining us again. Vito Maggioli, he's uh, Vito Maggioli, sorry. Um, <laughs> the PIO for DC Fire. And uh, I live in Texas, so those uh, Italian accents are uh, they're hard to come by nowadays. I apologize for that. <laughs> um, we, we really appreciate you sharing some stories from DC Fire and also some advice. I think you, know, you, you do a great program there. And, um, and we just, you know, we want to say thank you from the media side too. Uh, for all the work that you do, we know we, we you put your your heart and soul into it every day, and it helps us in our jobs. So, so thank you, video, and uh, we'll uh, we'll get you back on soon. We also have to get some of the PIOs from the region there as well. Uh, we know there's a great network down there, and, and it would be great to have all of you on at some point for a nice little roundtable. So, thank you. Much appreciated. The pleasure is all mine. 
Firefighting is essential for our communities, but it's not easy. With increased heat loads and toxic substances, the job today is more dangerous than ever. At MSA, your health and safety drive us to develop highly advanced safety equipment to protect you on the job. MSA's Globe Gear is performance and protection in perfect balance. It's designed to meet the challenges you face every day to help keep you safe and healthy during your career and beyond. Get the full story at msafire.com globe.